thank you very much for the welcome and the kind words. Um, I have favour in many churches and disfavour in many churches as well. It's just to balance it out a little bit. Um, but uh, praise God for the favour we do have. I'll just give a couple of announcements um, before I go on any further. Um, it's good to have Barbara with my wife with two children. Lydia, who's 17, she's at uh, CEF, was a training camp. And uh, Noah, he, he's 13, he's away to Summer Madness today with some friends. So um, uh, my prayer letter is on that table as well that David mentioned. So it gives a little bit of detail about our ministry and uh, just what we're about, what we've been doing over the last while and uh, some engagements that are coming up over, over the next season. So if you want to know a little bit more about our ministry, that's the prayer letter for you. Also it gives details about the website that puts all my ministry free of charge on the internet. Um, I'll say very quickly about the book because uh, I'm going to actually mention some of the things this morning. Um, it's called Breaking Through Barriers to Blessing, Overcoming Sins, Wounds and Demons. And the title itself scares people off, but shouldn't really because um, these, I believe, uh, as I'll touch on this morning a little bit, are the three areas that really cause obstacles in our Christian lives, sins, wounds, and the demonic. And the book's all about that and how to overcome that. So um, there they are for you. Another thing to push that I've asked permission to, to do so is Portadown House of Prayer. Who's heard of Portadown House of Prayer? We have a Facebook page. Um, Portadown House of Prayer meets every Friday. Now, it's not meeting at all in July, so just uh, remember that, just in case you feel moved to, to, to help us out. But we meet above Chimes Coffee Shop in Portadown. Do you know where that is? It's a Mark's Church, Chimes, just beside it. And every Friday we meet from 7 a.m. through to about 6 p.m. Sometimes that varies depending on how many people we've got with us that day. But basically it's a prayer cycle of about 11 hours where we have manned hours of prayer and it's a quiet prayer space. It's not uh, a prayer meeting as such, but just somewhere you can slip in and have some time praying for Portadown and the larger Craig Avon area. So if you're about Portadown on Friday or you would maybe be interested in that, um, just drop in. We'd love to see you. Um, there's a sign-up sheet for the hours if you can... If you can come at any given point in the future, that would be great. But why not pop in? Tell people about it. A lot of people don't really know it exists. And it's been hard to motivate the church, churches, to be honest, to be involved. Because it's a kingdom venture. And sometimes churches are so busy, they don't have time for anything outside their own program. Uh, so if you know of anybody who has a burden for praying for the area, uh, why not tell them about that? So thank you very much. I want you to turn with me to, to Luke chapter 4. And uh, I was just saying to my wife several times over the weekend and this morning, I'm not sure what to preach here. Uh, and even right up to driving in, saying to her, I'm just not sure about this. <laughs> and I'm still not sure. <laughs> Although when David got up um, and read Isaiah 61, I thought, you shouldn't say bingo, Susan, but I thought... <laughs> There you go. What's the spiritual word, David? I don't know. Uh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, I think this is what, I'm, what I meant to speak on. Uh, you can erase that from the recording. Um, Isaiah 61, written 
hundreds of years before Jesus was born. We, we can call Isaiah's prophecy actually the gospel of Isaiah because it's so filled prophetically with the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus that you would think it was a gospel writer. And the life, death, resurrection, ascension, the second coming of Jesus is all depicted within that prophetic book hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And just in case you don't believe this book is the Bible, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a great intellectual in general, but one of the, the, the feel-safe, foolproof evidence factors that this book is God's breathed word is prophecy. Prophecy proves this is the Bible. It is self-sufficiently proven. It proves itself to be what it claims to be because of prophecy in particular. So uh, just look at, look at the Old Testament messianic prophecies about Jesus and it'll stagger you, it'll blow your mind. And one of those is Isaiah 61. And I call it the mission statement of Messiah or the mandate of Messiah. It's about what Jesus would come into the world to do. Okay. Now a mission statement, you can go into business and it'll be written up on a board or something. Or you go into a school or some other institution or even a church. Have you got a mission statement? Well, that's probably coming near to it there. What you exist to do. What is your purpose for being? And so Isaiah 61 tells us what Jesus was all about and what he would come into the world to do. And so in Luke chapter 4, we find he's putting his claim on this. He's writing his signature beneath Isaiah 61, literally, and saying, this is me. Verse 16 then of uh, Luke 4. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up and read. And that's interesting. He had a habit of going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. You know, religion, man-made religion is a great problem in our land. And it's not something that we want to really aspire to. Having said that, there are certain disciplines in the Christian life that we ought not to throw out with the baby of the bathwater when religion's concerned. And one of them is a custom of meeting with God's people, a custom of praying. And he did that. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah and when he had opened the book he found the place where it was written and this is Isaiah 61 that David read the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down the eyes of all were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Will this come off? Yeah. Be easier for me. If I was to ask you, What is the gospel? I wonder what your answer would be. I was looking at my daughter's timetable for CEF training and, and I think it's later on today, a class, what is the gospel? And lately she's been filling in forms for various Christian camps and one of the questions is, if you were to explain to someone what the gospel is, what would you say? And here in Northern Ireland in the church, we generally have been well-schooled with, we might call it the ABC 
of the gospel. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died on the cross to save sinners. And see, confess that he is the saviour of sinners and confess him as Lord of your life. That involves repentance, of course, as well. Many years ago, a man called J.B. Phillips translated the New Testament or retranslated it from the original Greek language. And uh, it was called the Contemporary English Version, I think, at the time, or Plain English Version or something like that. But when he was translating the original Greek, he was so overwhelmed by the multifaceted depths of Greek words that his mind was blown to the greatness and transcendence of God. Because remember, the Bible is a revelation of who God is. So if you want to know who God is, you look at the Bible and you look at Jesus. But our English language basically doesn't, no matter what you think about Bible versions, and some people get all hot and bothered about that, but none of our Bible versions, indeed all of our Bible versions put together, cannot fully express at times what the original Greek language and Hebrew in the Old Testament is actually saying. And so he wrote a, a book off the back of that experience entitled Your God is Too Small. And we have this tendency, don't we, of putting God in a box. And guess what? If you put God in a box, it's not God that's in the box. You're in the box just in case you didn't realise, if you have put any restrictions on God whatsoever, if you have ever said or even thought God can't do this or wouldn't do that, you've put God in a box, but you've actually put restrictions on yourself and upon your experiences of God. I want to suggest to you today not so much that your God is too small but it could be that your gospel is too small and thank God for the core of the gospel message which is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures was buried and rose again third day according to the scriptures and when we believe in him we have our sins forgiven and peace with God we know that we're pardoned justified cleansed and essentially when we die, we're going to be with him forever in heaven. Praise the Lord for that. But can I tell you, if that's all your gospel is, it's too small. Because that's, that's not the whole story. It's not all there is. And it's interesting, isn't it? When Isaiah was inspired by the Holy Spirit to actually prophesy what the mandate and mission of Jesus the Messiah would be, he doesn't talk about any of those things. I'm not saying they're not there because they are right throughout Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 51, case in point, he's wounded for our transgressions, etc. But Isaiah 61 talks about other things. And when Jesus was in his own synagogue in Nazareth, he's given Isaiah's scroll. We don't know what the particular reading perhaps for that day was. It might have been Isaiah 61. That's why he found the place where that was written. Or it might have been that he just made a beeline for it because this was the day he's going to say, hey, it's me. But he finds it. And he tells us what he is anointed to do. And by the way, that's what Messiah means in Greek, Christos, the anointed one. He is anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to do what? Look at it, verse 18. To preach the gospel to the poor. To preach the gospel to the poor. Now don't put your hands up at once if you feel that you're poor. But, you know, it's interesting that Jesus 
made his ministry around people who were in his contemporary age considered untouchable. So you've got lepers, tax collectors. Lepers were seen as unclean. Tax collectors were seen as unclean for different reasons. Leprosy made the leper spiritually, ceremonially and uh, physiologically unclean. They're diseased. But tax collectors were morally and spiritually unclean because they were in cahoots with the Romans who were the occupiers. They were lifting taxes on their behalf and they were also lining their pockets by taking extra. So they were thieves as well. And then there were prostitutes. We all know what they are. If you don't, talk to your pastor afterwards. But um, immoral. Immoral. Women who were also... Uh, untouchable in a, in, in, in a, a cust- customary sense. Jesus ministers to these people to the point at which he's called a friend of publicans and sinners. He's called a friend of drunkards and a wine-bibber. <laughs> Don't you love him? Because he went to the poor. We're not just talking about a- economics here. We're talking actually, although that is involved, but The word means those who feel disenfranchised in life. Those who feel that life has left them behind. They've missed out. They've lost out. Disappointed. Despairing. Without hope. And Jesus came for those people to preach good news. And we were singing it there, weren't we? God is good. And you see, the good news is a display of the good heart of God. And, and I believe in sin. I believe in preaching about it. I believe in judgment. I believe that there is a hell. I believe there's a judgment day coming. But let's not make the mistake of thinking that that is actually the gospel. You can't understand the good news without the bad news. That's a given. Yeah? But it's not good news telling people that they're dirty sinners and they're lost and they're going to hell. Now, that may be true, but that is not the good news. The good news is, though we are lost sinners and there is a judgment, that God loves us and Jesus died for us and he wants to display goodness to us. He wants to give grace to sinners. It's interesting to me, the only people that Jesus ever talked to about hell in the Gospels, and you look at this, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the only ones he preached hell to were the religious Pharisees. Now, that's interesting. Is it not? That he reached the arm of grace down to the the ones who were in the gutter. But the ones who thought, the ones who thought they were all that. And they were God's people were the ones he told you beware of hellfire. Wow. So there's good news. (laughs) There's good news. And can I say that that's why, that's why there's, and we'll touch on this a little bit later, a, a supernatural dimension to the gospel because God just doesn't want to tell you that he's good he wants to show you that he's good and when we go to Acts um, after the ascension of Jesus the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2 and Peter explains it saying that Jesus was attested to you by God by signs and wonders and various miraculous signs So the supernatural shows who Jesus was, but actually it's not just proving that the gospel is true. Signs and wonders and miracles actually demonstrate the goodness of the message, that God is good. 
And that's what people need to know. Um, this is a bit of a digression, but my mother, her hairdresser, had a nephew that was ill. And um, long story short, they asked, would I pray with the wee boy? And I asked them to go to a meeting nearby where they were. It was actually, believe it or not, St. Anne's Cathedral. And they went to St. Anne's Cathedral where I happened to be speaking that particular night at a healing meeting. Mm. I don't know how the little boy is doing, but I know this, that the hairdresser, I think, is a backslider. A lot of stuff went on in that meeting that night, mm. supernatural stuff. But that girl, my mom was getting her hair cut the other day and she rung me. She says, that girl, she can't get over what happened that night. And this is what she said. If ever you were in doubt that God is real, all you need to do is see that type of stuff and you know that there's another kingdom, there's another dimension that this is real. Now, I'm not against apologetics, okay? Do you know what apologetics is? It's not apologizing for everything. Apologetics is giving a reason for the hope that is within you. So actually arguing intellectually for various truths of, of the word of God. I, I'm not against that. In fact, I believe it has a place. But I'm telling you now, what people need is to see the demonstration of the power of God supernaturally. Not mimicking, not working stuff up or telling lies and deceiving but actually seeing the authentic power of the living God and to show that he's good when he touches lives and changes lives that's part of the gospel you put a finger in there at uh, Luke 4 and if you want to turn with with me to Romans chapter 15 um, Paul says in verse 18 uh, of Romans 15 I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. And this is what I want you to notice. Romans 15, verse 18, halfway in. In word and deed. The two things need to happen. Paul later on would say in Corinthians, I didn't just preach the, in word only, but also in power and demonstration of the gospel. See, the, the, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. So he says to make... The, the Gentiles obedient, in other words, obedient to the gospel, high, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Eliakim, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And if you go up to verse 29, you'll see it says, um, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So he's saying, I, I preach the gospel in word and deed. I preached everywhere I went from Jerusalem to Larkham. I preached in signs and wonders. And then he calls it the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So our gospel is too small if we're not touching the poor. And what does that look like? Well, look, look back at uh, Luke 4. He sent me to preach the good news to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. That's part of it. Healing the brokenhearted. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I was preaching last uh, Sunday morning in a church and I was preaching from Acts chapter 3. You know the man, the lame man from birth. He was lame sitting at the beautiful gate, but this was his day for being healed. And Peter and John, John were going to the temple to pray. And uh, they said, look on us. Silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth to rise up and walk. And it says he, he got up and went walking, who knows what it says, walking and leaping and praising God. And then it says all the people took note 
that he was walking and praising God. So it says in the next verse. And what does it leave out? He went walking, leaping and praising God, but all the people took note that he was walking and praising God. Leaves out the leaping. So the people didn't see the leaping. It wasn't that they didn't see it. They really didn't take note of it. And if you take the walking as the physical healing, that he was lame from birth and he couldn't walk, that's the physical healing. And praising God was the spiritual dimension where he realized where this was coming from. The origin of his healing was God. There's something missing that the crowd was not seeing. And can I say to you, there's something missing that the church is not seeing today. And it's the leaping, which is the healing of the heart, the soul, the area of the soul. Thank God we can be saved and right with God. That's spiritual healing, yes? Praising God, recognizing he is our salvation. And thank the Lord for churches who now believe in physical healing, that God can touch the body and it's part of the gospel message. But there's more. And can I say to you, some people are not physically healed. Some people don't get physical healing because of an issue of the heart. The heart's broken. I'm not saying everybody's sick because of a broken heart or everybody's sick for a spiritual reason. That's not what I'm saying, but I am saying some people are. And Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up their wounds. Would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? Again, keep, keep a marker in there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The end of the chapter 23, verse 23 there. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's complete holiness. So that's what the end game is for us as Christians, to eventually be like Jesus. And may your whole, watch this, spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. The message translation puts those two verses like this. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy, H-O-L-Y, and whole, W-H-O-L-E, Make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of the Master Jesus Christ. I love that. He wants to make you holy and whole. Some people want to be holy, legalistic people, religious people, and they're limping along, trying to follow God, don't understand why they're not breaking through, don't want to understand why they're not particularly holy, because they're not whole. They're not whole. Their heart has never been healed. But then there's people who want to be whole, W-H-O-L-E, and they want you to fix them in prayer and help them and all the rest, but they don't want to be holy, don't want to give up their sin, don't want to surrender completely to Jesus. But God wants to make you holy and whole. And he wants to put you together, spirit, soul, and body. See, you're not just a, a body. You know that, don't you? But you're not just a, a spirit and a body. You've got a soul, you've got a mind, you've got emotions, you've got volition, will. And sometimes there's a brokenness, and my book talks a lot about this, through wounds, through trauma, through various experiences in our lives. We've all got them. And we think sometimes when we come to Jesus and become a born-again believer and even spirit-filled, that all those things are immediately solved. And some of them can be. It would be wonderful if all of them were. Perhaps for a very small minority that may be the case but for most people we spend the rest of our christian lives working through that working out our salvation with fear and trembling 
It could be you're here today and you're not experiencing the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Jesus because there's brokenness in your heart. Because there's an issue of trauma, there's experiences that you've had in the past that have held you back. You've been tied to places, to people. Maybe there's unforgiveness there that you need to let go of. He's come to heal the brokenhearted. To bind up your wounds. There's nothing more satisfying than when I see, obviously this is in the spirit, but when the Lord Jesus, people I'm praying with or whatever, ministering to, when Jesus with his nail-pierced hands reaches into a soul and binds up their wounds, puts bandages around their wounds. Like a, You could be here this morning and your soul could be like a fractured bone and it's been fractured for years. Maybe it's splintered in pieces. But Jesus is able to take all those pieces and bind that wound up, realign that break, bandage it and heal it. That's what he died for. But you've got to bring it to him. You've got to admit it's even there. And you've got to expose your heart to him. Back to Luke chapter 4. I didn't ask you what time I was meant to finish. In all seriousness, what time do you finish? Is it 12? Yeah. Normally? No. Tell me. Um, we do about 20 minutes of praise after you're done. Right. So what do you just tell me, honestly? I'm not looking for extra time. You can go another 20 minutes. Okay, no problem. To proclaim liberty to the captives, that's freedom for people that are bound. And that's really talking about the devil. You see, the devil imprisons people. And there is a devil, you know. A lot of Christians live their lives as if the devil didn't exist. But he does exist. Now, we're not running around devil conscious or demon conscious. No, we're to be God conscious. But we're not to be ignorant of his devices. That's a scripture. Do not be ignorant of his schemes. And in fact, all the scriptures within the whole of the Bible, particularly the New Testament, are written to Christians, warning Christians, of the devil and the danger that he is to us. So Ephesians 6, put on the armour of God and all that kind of stuff. That he goes about, as Peter says, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We as Christians are not to be in the dark concerning the threat that the enemy is to us. And yet a lot of Christians I know go about as if they're immune to the devil because they're born again and washed in the blood. And the fact of the matter is, if we give the enemy rights in our life, or to put it another way, if we open doorways of danger, we can be sure that he will take any opportunity that we give him to get a foothold in our lives. The good news is, Jesus has come to set us free from the prison and the bondage of the enemy. When Jesus was talked about by Peter in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, it was nearly a direct quote from Luke chapter 4. Jesus of Nazareth, anointed of God, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. That's an interesting phrase, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Healing and oppression of the devil is put together there. Why? Because it's all mixed up. It's all mixed up. 
Some of the people who were healed in the Bible, let me give you one example. Luke chapter 13, a woman with a spirit of infirmity, she's all bent over. And Jesus says, Satan had bound her for 18 years. She's in the synagogue. Now, Jesus then reaches in and it says, he speaks to her, loose, be loosed of your infirmity. And he does something deep within her heart. And she's set free and she's healed from a spirit of infirmity. Now, I don't know everything to do with that incident, but I know what Jesus said is that 18 years ago, something happened that got this woman bound with a spirit of infirmity. And she needed to be loosed from that. I don't know what it was. I don't know what happened, whether she was dabbling in an occult or whether she had a trauma in her life or whether she had unforgiveness issues or whatever it was. But a door was opened to a spirit of infirmity that made her sick. This might be news to, to, to many of you, but this is real. This is Bible. And the devil and demons aren't behind everything. You can't blame them on everything. But he can make it very difficult when he gets a foothold in our lives. And you know, there are people who come to Jesus and they truly are born again and they repent, or at least as far as they possibly can, they repent. But they keep falling off the wagon of their addiction, of the particular proclivity to one sin or another. Because the church has been impotent in the area of deliverance. Now you need to come to this freedom in Christ stuff, okay? These Sunday nights, because this is fundamental and foundational to knowing who you are and what God thinks of you and what is your inheritance in Jesus Christ. Because spiritual warfare is not a battle for power, it's a battle for truth. What you believe. That brings the power, what you believe. Do you believe, I'm talking to people here this morning who are bound by the devil. I know I am. Because statistically it has to be even in a small, smaller gathering like this. Some of you are bound by habitual sin. And you think it's just your flesh. And the flesh is very strong by the way. But some of you may well be ensnared by the enemy. And you need to tell the devil to get off your case. And you might need a bit of help. But you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to be ruthless with sin. Jesus said if your eye offends you pluck it out. You can't get more ruthless than that. If your hand offends you, cut it off. He's not being literal, but he's saying this is how drastic you need to be if you're serious. Yeah. See, some of us are not serious. It was Billy Sunday said we, we, we treat sin like a cream puff rather than a rattlesnake. And it's a rattlesnake. It's not a cream puff. And when we get serious with sin, guess what? Holy Spirit gets serious with setting us free. Sins need to be repented of, wounds need to be healed, and demons need to be cast out. In that order, that's what my book's all about. Sins, you've got to repent and say, this is wrong, Lord, and I confess that. I might not have power to overcome it, but this is the lordship of Jesus. If Jesus is Lord, then I'm in agreement with what you say. I might not have the power, but as long as I come into agreement with you say and, and surrender, then things can start to happen. Wounds need to be healed. You need to be real with that thing that happened in your life. You need to face it and get help with someone. And then eventually what needs to happen is the devil needs to be told to go. Yes. In Jesus' name to leave your life. Let me end with this. Just keep reading here. To proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. And in the Old Testament, in the Torah, 
Um, there's three, at least three things mentioned about the year of Jubilee. Um, there's a Sabbath every week, and then there's the sabbatical uh, year, and this was the sabbatical year, the seven sevens of years, and event the 49th year, the 50th year, they celebrated the year of Jubilee. And what would happen was, slaves would be set free, so you could be a slave all your life, on the year of Jubilee you'd be set free. Debts would be cancelled, so no matter how much you accrued in debt, it would be all cleared. What was the other one? Land would be restored. So you could have lost your, your family plot, your heritage, but it would be restored to you again. And Jesus was announcing this day in the synagogue, this is what I've come to do. I've come to preach good news to the poor. I've come to heal broken hearts. I've come to set pr prisoners free and open blind eyes spiritually and literally because this is the spiritual year of Jubilee. Yeah. So he's wanting to set slaves free. He's wanting to cancel debts. And he's wanting to give you back what the enemy has stolen because he is a thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus says, I'm come that you might have life to the full, overflowing. And he says, this is it. And it's the acceptable year of the Lord. It's also called the year of God's favour. Do you know what that really means? It means this. He wills it. And when I preach like this, I know there's people in the gathering that says, oh, yeah, I, I, I kind of believe that. And I know that that's happened in other people's lives. I can't deny it. But I can't really believe in my heart of hearts that this is for me and that God wants to do this for me. That's what this means, the acceptable year of the Lord. It is for you. I want to do it. That's what God is saying. I want to do it. And the wonderful thing is, David read into the fourth verse of Isaiah 61 that talked about restoring the old waste places. And if you keep reading down that passage, it, it picks it more graphically as well. And you know something? I've been involved now with, with healing and deliverance ministry for maybe about eight years or so now. And, and I enjoy it, and, and it's very rewarding to see people's lives change. But after a little while doing this, I just sort of said to the Lord, Lord, this is great and it's wonderful and uh, I don't want you to misunderstand me, but I'll do this for the rest of my life if, if this is what I'm meant to be doing, but what, what is this all about? And there was a preacher by the name of Alistair Preacher. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's quite well known, and he was preaching somewhere here in Northern Ireland. I went to hear him, and he actually started to relay his own story, how he'd been in Church of England, well, it was in Scotland, an Anglican minister in Scotland, and uh, he was seeing a lot of deliverance and healing in his congregation. He asked the same question because he had a heartbeat for revival, just the way I have, and I think we all have, hopefully. And he was asking, Lord, this is great, but what's it all about? And the Lord showed him, and at this moment, the light bulb went on for me, that the principles re related to Isaiah 61, Luke chapter 4, and getting free individually are the identical principles for setting free a community and indeed a whole nation. Yes. Yes. Just let that sink in for a moment. The same principles. What's that? Sin needs to be repented of. We have a lot of sin to repent of as a nation. Yeah? Whatever side of the community you're on, a lot of sin needs to be repented. Wounds need to be healed. Where do we even begin with that one? The offense that there is, the need for forgiveness, 
the need for walking in continual forgiveness. 70 times 7, Jesus said, 490 times. What does that mean? Just don't, stop counting, Peter, and keep on forgiving. And that's what has to happen. And the demonic needs to be expelled. And there's a lot of demonic strongholds in our communities. You have to be careful, by the way, how you go about this. I'm not wanting any of you to individually to run out and say, in the name of Jesus, all these strongholds leave. You'll come a cropper if you do that. You need to do it with divine protocol and biblically. And there's a whole series of messages on that. But all I'm saying is, it's time for the church to rise up. And it's the church needs to rise up and take its possessions in faith. And start to tell the devil where to go. Mm -hmm. But can I say this to you? And this is what came into my heart when you read this. At the very start. And, and you, you, you emphasize verse 4. I imagine with Tandogi in your mind. That you will never see the waste places built up in your community. Until you know <coughs> this gospel completely applied to your heart as an individual. Are you getting that? You will not see. Your, the change that you see in your community will be relative to the change that you allow this gospel to make in your life. Yes. So we can all go woo-ha and get all excited about revival in our community, but it all starts with revival in my heart. Repentance in my heart. Healing in my heart. Freedom from the enemy in my heart. Let's pray.